Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are continuing our M. Night Shyamalan-tober with Lady in the Water. When an apartment building manager discovers a water nymph in the complex's swimming pool, he tries to help her return to her mythical home. So, 2006, $70 million budget, grossed $72 million. You know, that's better than I would have thought, considering how much negative publicity this movie got. This movie tanked. Like, yeah, it made its budget back, but barely. Well, critically tanked, for sure. Well, it made no money. It, like, it didn't cost the studio money, ultimately, but there's no return on your investment. Because it was marketed so terribly. It was, and... To be fair, this is the first thing he did where there wasn't like this big twist at the end. So it was marketed horribly and people did not know what they were seeing. So when you go to this movie, there's like as you're watching it, there are hallmarks of like the other things we've seen in his work. But then you get to the end and you're like, wait, what? So if you weren't if you were expecting this big, huge twist, you were going to be severely disappointed. But I knew what I was going into when I saw this because I saw this movie in the theater. Yeah. And I had no desire. I'd seen signs and was like, I pretty much wrote this guy off after watching that. Mm -hmm. This was 2000. Yeah, this was still really early in our relationship. So, (laughs) uh, yeah. I also remember you telling me you trying to convince me for the longest time. This is the movie you should see. Yeah. So like your first thoughts. This is a damn fine movie. It totally is. This is the kind of movie he should have been making all along. Mm -hmm. So, of course, our writer and our director, M. Night Shyamalan, I'm not going through his credits. He's not going to do anything for a while after this because uh, this hurt him deeply. The plot of this movie is based on a bedtime story that M. Night wrote for his kids. It was actually turned into a children's book that was released on the same day as the film. Okay. So that's kind of cool. Like, and he's just doing something different that, like, his kids can see. So, like, I'm okay with that. I do have one, like, snippet of a story about this movie and, like, kind of, like, what was going on with it. And this comes from the Wikipedia page. And it says, according to the book, The Man Who Heard Voices, or How M. Night Shyamalan Risked His Career on a Fairy Tale, one of the reasons why Shyamalan decided to part with Disney was because Disney's president of development went to a party instead of staying home to read the script for this movie. And Shyamalan had had it personally curried to her, and then she said she didn't like it anyways. So Shyamalan was pissed and said creative differences, and he just didn't feel like Disney wanted to do anything creative anymore. So he went to Warner Brothers, but without the marketing that Disney would have given it, that's why it tanked. Like, that's really what it it comes about to. Disney... They're either 100% in or they're out. That's just the way Disney has always been. If they can't automatically see how they can make money, they're not going to bother. Which is frustrating when you've got somebody like this who has unique and different ideas, at least on paper. And like, I kind of see some of that changing with Disney. Like they have actually like made some strides and like, I know like them taking over Marvel isn't a huge win, but it does show that like, they are expanding outside of the animated, just purely family film crap. As long as they don't try to force Marvel's hand. Well, Paul Feig has said we would have never sold, like, done business with Disney if they were going to make us do anything. They, bottom line, are just like, do whatever you want. (laughs) 
So they're doing well over there. They still have a lot to go, but they have done well. (laughs) There's lots of room for improvement. I'm not trying to say they're perfect. I just don't trust them. No, not at all. put it that way. Do not not trust Disney on this. I do not trust Disney. (laughs) I still love Disney World. I'm sorry. No, there are things. Here's the thing. There's so much that Disney has done that enriches our lives and is good. But the way they go about their business is not great. (laughs) Has not been great. So automatically he's starting this film off with like a bad taste in his mouth. Like he's already, it's already an uphill battle. Okay. So like that sucks. But then it comes out and people just don't get it. I mean, it has a horrible rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I believe it's like 25. (laughs) Another thing that was referenced on the Wikipedia page was Variety Magazine wrote a scathing review. Common complaints about the film were that little effort was put into getting the viewer to believe in the world, that few moments in the film could be taken seriously, and that Shyamalan was using the film as a form of self-indulgence. Instead of having a minor cameo, as in most of his films, Shyamalan cast himself as a visionary whose writing changes the world, and another character included a film critic portrayed by Bob Balaban as an arrogant, self-assured, and passive who comes to a violent end. So people thought he was being arrogant. So because he'd been king shit in movie world for a while, especially from fans, I totally get why critics would sour on that portrayal in context. Totally. On the other hand, I kind of dig it. Like, he's a writer. And honestly... It adds a person of color to the cast. <laughs> I mean, the, we have hurt. We have Jeffrey Wright and Noah Gray Cabey, but like, okay, this adds another person of color, and I like that. That's nice. There's an allegory in here that I don't fully get. Mm-hmm. I think there's a ton of symbolism he's throwing into this story. Yeah, because it is an everyman story. A little bit, and there's a magical element that I really, I don't know. It doesn't read as arrogant, especially because his character has to die. Like the character has to face the fact like he's given this wonderful vision of the future. And after he absorbs that, he goes back to story and he's just like, something happens to me, doesn't it? What I'm writing isn't that important. How am I actually going to be remembered? How how does it become that important? It's like, oh, you're going to die. Oh, shit. And then I like that later, like, he's nervous, but he knows, like, this is what's supposed to happen. And, like, story tells him, like, your sister's going to be fine. You're going to meet two of her kids. Like, okay. That's amazing. This movie makes really off-the-wall strange decisions, but in the best way. They're delightful. And I think this is the kind of movie he should have been making instead of trying to carefully plot and restrain himself so much. Again, I think this just reinforces that he has amazing ideas and he's really good at making the film, but he needs a writer's room. He needs writing partners to flesh things out. I think I have two actual complaints about the movie as a whole, and that's I wish it moved just a slightest bit faster. We took a long time to get to like the meat of what was going to be happening in the story. I don't feel that way at all. Just a little bit, like not by a lot, but just need to move just a teeniest bit faster. And then at the end, I feel like we needed just a a longer beat before the movie officially ended. I feel like we needed like a, a little bit longer sequence of watching Cleveland see her fly away because she gets taken by the eagle and then it's just the movie's over. Like instantly. And I feel like you needed just one more minute of breath of just watching Cleveland be like, okay, she's gone. No. That's what I wanted. See, that to me would make it hokier. 
No. Instead of feeling like a storybook to me. I don't think I don't think that's really it. But here's the thing. This isn't a storybook and it's not presented so much as a storybook. And there are storybook hallmarks in it. But this is still a movie and it's being presented as a movie. So there are times when that element makes sense for your visual cinematic storytelling experience. See, for me, that's actually one of the reasons I really liked it was that it would buck that a lot. It would fight against that movie impulse a lot. Yeah. And that's really why I enjoyed it. I don't think it bucks the movie storytelling at all. So I feel like that was a poor editing, possibly filmmaking choice. Hmm. Because I would not be surprised to find out that they filmed that angle and they just cut it. That would not surprise me either. Once again, wildly differing opinions of how we saw this movie. (laughs) That's, That's fine. It's just... It doesn't make sense. The way the end is set up does not match how they start the story at all. To me, the movie starts as a straight story. And then as we go along, more and more fantastical things happen Mm -hmm. that by the end of the movie, we are rapidly accelerating through what feels like this sort of fantasy. For me, it worked that way. That's that's just how I saw it. But here's the thing. It doesn't go enough into the fantasy for that ending to work as it's presented. Like, I'm fine with the ending being like the eagle takes her and then that's the end of the story. That's fine. But I'm but from a storytelling and a visual perspective, it's shitty. I liked it. That, well, <laughs> I think you're an idiot for that, but whatever. <laughs> Tomorrow, I'll think you're an idiot for something different. <laughs> Hello, welcome to our marriage. The that's end. True. Um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> But this is where we're at on this. Don't, we don't have to get hung up on this. We're still it's very pro. Funny. We're still pro this movie. Yeah. All right. Let's get into our cast because that's where the meat of this is. We start with Paul Giamatti as Cleveland Heap. We've never talked about him. Well, that's not entirely true. Uh-huh. So you all know who Paul Giamatti is. So I'm just going to pull the big ones, which is still an extensive list. Can I give you the first one? What? Singles. Yes. Yes, <laughs> he was an Arpon in singles. Yes, he was. Uh, then he was in Sabrina, Donnie Brasco, The Truman Show, Saving Private Ryan, Man on the Moon, Planet of the Apes, Big Fat Liar, Paycheck, Sideways, Robots, Cinderella Man, and The Illusionist. After this, he was in The Nanny Diaries, John Adams, the TV miniseries, Duplicity, The Last Station, Win Win, Ironclad, Rock of Ages, 12 Years a Slave, Saving Mr. Banks, San Andreas, Straight Outta Compton, he's on the television series Billions. Lodge 49, and he will be in the upcoming Jungle Cruise movie, as well as a bunch of other films. He has he has become a little bit of a parody of himself. In a weird way, he's kind of become Robert De Niro in that he just plays Paul Giamatti in movies a lot now. I would say that's true now. We've seen his range. Yeah. Which is very good. Get, yeah, it's, just, it's the Robert De Niro factor. Yes, but it's like, okay... We've seen everything you're capable of doing. Now it's a matter of slotting him into a particular project. Yeah. And we love Paul Giamatti. He's phenomenal. And Absolutely. I love him in this movie because there has to be this sweetness and this sadness about Cleveland because he has this tragic past. His child and his wife were murdered and like he has to live with that. But he's also okay. Like, He's not dissatisfied with his life. It just is. He just is. And there is an inherent sadness about that. But he does it so well. What's fascinating to me is that I I told you this later on. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody 
literally anybody, and I'm sure there might be who could have been better. There's one. But Paul Giamatti's the only person who could convincingly do this role. Oh, that's a funny. Okay, so we have one who could have been better, but okay. I'm trying to think of if there's anybody else that comes to mind that could do this. And let me let me lay out my case while you think about that. Okay. He does have that perfect mix of sweet and melancholy. Oh, I've got it. Sorry. And <laughs> like that happened really fast. And he brings a groundedness because he is capable of that mm-hmm. to the role in the middle of this swirling vortex of weird going on. Uh-huh. His sort of more manic tendencies play as real. Mm-hmm. And convincing, even in moments where it probably shouldn't. There's something about him being the person in that role that in every respect just matches what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. It's, it is that just that magical thing that a certain actor has with a certain role that just works. Now, you're going to try to torpedo that. Okay. So the who could have been better was Kevin Costner. No. No. Oh, God, That's no. a big fat no. But who I thought of is John C. Riley. Wow. I got you. <laughs> well, you're having me think. It's a different... It would, it would have to be a completely different collection of cast, but he could do it, and he could do it so well. Like, he can play sad, but hopeful, and, like, he can, pl- he can hit all those notes, and we've seen him do it. Yeah. Our first thinking is just either Chicago or Step Brothers. Or Magnolia <laughs> for me as well. Which I've still never seen. But in which he plays a very similar character to this. Sweet and loving, but also really melancholy. Amazing. I'm doing a little dance. <laughs> You're I'm not, not far wrong. Off. I'm You're not, not wrong. wrong. But I, I would tend to say how this movie wound up constructed, I can't imagine anybody better with this set of circumstances oh, totally. like, than Paul Giamatti. I'm not replacing Paul Giamatti, but I would like to see a screen test of the two of them and then go from there. Fair. I want to see that comparison because it would have been good. Next, we have Bryce Dallas Howard, a story. I read her credits in our last episode. So before this, she was in The Village. After this, she was in Jurassic World. <laughs> That's what you need to know. <laughs> She's great. She is not as great as she was in The Village. Agreed. But she's such a blank slate. It's impressive to watch the range from what she did in the village to here. To this. For sure. They're such wildly different characters Mm -hmm. and completely different physicality, but still so interesting to watch. Like, she's so interesting to watch. It's true. What makes me think it's not quite as good is because of that blank slateness, there's moments here and there where you feel like she's disengaged. Mm Mm-hmm. And that could just be a weird shot here and there or a bad edit. Mm -hmm. It's entirely possible. But I think it, you know, there's just moments where she's not connecting as magnetically as she did with the other role. And that's not to say anything bad, but it is to say that you could do this kind of role and still be magnetic. Yes. So I I think that's why I go, the village is just slightly better (laughs) in what she does in that movie. True, true. Next, we have Jeffrey Wright as Mr. Dury. Before this, he was in The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, Celebrity Ride with the Devil, The 2000s Hamlet, Shaft, Ali, Angels in America, The Manchurian Candidate, Syriana. After this, he was in Casino Royale as Felix Leiter, which we will be covering for this series in the spring 2020. (laughs) We got a couple more bonds we got to do before No Day to Die comes out. W, Cadillac Records, The Ides of March. He was in The Hunger Games as Beatty. He was on Boardwalk Empire. 
He was in The Good Dinosaur, All Rise, The Public, Game Night, The Goldfinch. He'll be in the upcoming Netflix film, The Laundromat. And then he's currently on Westworld and he has a ton more coming. God, he's a genius. He's so freaking good. I love, in everything. I love him. I love him on Westworld. I loved him in The Hunger Games. I love him in everything I see him. I love him in the Bond film. Siriana. He plays, once again, a very different role than anything I've seen him in. Well, he does. He's so good at being thoughtful. And his character is so fun, especially when he's playing off his son, which is just great. And he's just, I just like him. I just like him. But also unassuming. True. He's very unassuming. Most of his characters have this sort of super brainy quality or kind of almost omniscience in some way. Mm -hmm. Like they know all the stuff that's going on in the story. And in this one, he doesn't. He has no clue. He's kind of like, he he's smart. He's a smart guy, mm-hmm. but he's just clueless as to what the hell is happening around him. And it's so wonderful to see how he reacts based off of that understanding to be like, oh, Jeffrey Wright can play that too. Yep. I love, I love Jeffrey Wright. I'm yeah. always excited when I see him on screen. But also he's one of those guys who's really good at being in a group and not like pulling focus. He gives the exact yes. right amount of attention like, when it's needed. He always seems to know when it's about him and when it's not. Theater. Theater. <laughs> theater. Oh my God. The theater helps. It can. Sometimes it can hurt. Next we have Bob Balaban as Harry Farber. This is also a dude that you've seen in everything before this. He was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Altered States, End of the Line, For Love or Money, Waiting for Guffman, Clock Watchers, Deconstructing Harry, The Definite Maybe, Three to Tango, Best in Show, The Mexican, Ghost World, Gosford Park, The Majestic, A Mighty Wind, Capote. After this, he was in For Your Consideration, Web Therapy, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel. He's been on he's been on almost every television show that there is. He was on Girls, he was on Pitch, he was on Broad City, he was on the recent Netflix series The Politician, and then he'll be in the upcoming The French Dispatch in 2020. So good. He's so I Again, another person that every time I see him, I am happy to see him on screen. Bob Balaban's great in everything and has been ever since he started. He plays different degrees of nebesh really, really well. He's He reminds me so much of Wallace Shawn and that you have a very particular type, but you are able to do so much with it. Yeah, he... He has his type and then he expands that circle as large as he can mm-hmm. go with that to go in different arenas. Mm-hmm. And in this movie... Being a completely subtext as text character where he's almost reading stage directions. He is. He is so jaded and I love it. And I, I'm sorry, but I do love the inclusion of this character in this movie because he's a total misdirect. The criticism could be fair play in terms of the timing of this character. But I think in reality, it's way more about M. Night looking at his own movies being like, I'm going to have this guy talk about all the stupid shit that happened in my movies. Like, that's what he's doing. Well, he's he's more poking fun at himself. Which I also love. It's, it's this wonderful arc and this character that just looks down on literally everything going on. By the end, you're happy that he's gone, but you also loved the time you spent with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Harry Farber was named after the late critic, painter, and writer Manny Farber, who was often described as iconoclastic. Mm. Well, all right. Yeah. Next, we have Sarita Chowdhury as Anna Rand. 
Before this, she was in Mississippi Masala, The House of the Spirits, High Art, The Perfect Murder, Restless, Gloria, Come On, 3 a.m., Just a Kiss, Refuge, Rhythm of the Saints, The Breakup Artist. After this, she was in The Accidental Husband, the television series Kings, For Real, ton, like she had a bunch of guest roles on a bunch of television. She was in Admission, Innocence, The Disinherited. She was in The Hunger Games, Walking Jay 1 and 2 as Agira. She was in A Hologram for the King. She was on Blind Spot on television. She was in the Homeland series. She was on The Path. She's on the recent season of Jessica Jones. And then she's got a few items that should be coming out soon as well. I love her. I love her against M. Night as her brother. He's like, your book will be great. The cookbook? <laughs> like, she's she's so sweet. Like She's just very loving, but then she's so mean to her brother, which is the exact right tone. She's such a sister sibling and she's gorgeous and i i really liked her in this she's great she's completely disarming from what you expect that character Mm -hmm. to be yeah especially in light of what m knight's character is sort of supposed to represent yes and he does a good job undercutting that character as well Mm -hmm. but her character is just so perfect at like poking holes at that the entire movie i like her i would have liked some more of her next we have Cindy Chung as Yoon Su Choi. Before this, she was in Robot Stories, Spider-Man 2, Red Doors, Law and Order, Criminal Intent, Falling for Grace. After this, she's been on all the television. She had a run on One Life to Live. She was an obvious child, Mistress America. She was on Elementary, Madam Secretary, Law and Order, SVU, Bull, the movie Roxanne, Roxanne, The Strange Ones, The Light of the Moon. She was also on Blue Bloods for television and 13 Reasons Why. And then she's got a couple things in the works. So fun. She is very fun. She's a chameleon of an actress because she looks so different every single film. Hmm. Next, we have Freddy Rodriguez as Reggie. We've talked about him before. He was on Can't Hardly Wait and Six Feet Under and Teen Titans. And after this, he did Grindhouse, Ugly Betty, Chaos on television. He's been in a bunch of video games as voices, short films. He was on Night Shift, Young Justice, and Bull. I love Freddy Rodriguez. Mm Mm-hmm. Every time, I, like, again, everyone in this movie, when I see them, I'm happy. He's amazing. Now, I did. We had 30 minutes left to go in the movie, and I kept sitting there going, well, he's going to be the protector. Yeah. Like, after a while, I was like, wait, who's the protector? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. That they, makes sense. They should have used him just slightly more. Just a little. Because the gag is hilarious. Well, he he's gone for most of the second act of the movie Mm -hmm. and that's where we're missing him if we had one more scene in the middle of the movie with him he would have been in there enough for it to justify itself really well Mm -hmm. but such a fun bit part (laughs) oh it's great it's so cute next we have bill Irwin as mr leeds you know who the fuck bill Irwin is i mean if you've ever watched sesame street in your damn life you know he's one mr noodle he yes he is Probably the most known Mr. Noodle, but he's a clown. He's a trained clown, but he's been in a bunch of movies, too. He was Lou Lou Who in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He was in Igby Goes Down, The Manchurian Candidate. He was also in Across the Universe, Rachel Getting Married, Lights Out, and then he's been on the most recent season of Legion. He might have been in more episodes, but I know he's on the recent season. Also know him a lot from theater. He was in a crazy famous production of Waiting for for Godot. Godot. Yeah, he's just magnetic he does a lot of dance pieces too where he performs with dancers yeah he is just he is an all-around full contact actor (laughs) he's he's somebody i would love to see perform in like 
in any capacity i want to see him perform anything any anything because he's just he's amazing he's only in this movie for like two minutes i know which is also so weird because it's it's not wasted because i love when he's like damn it i wanted to believe like a kid again too mm-hmm. you're just like oh shit and then when it turns out he might need to believe it's like yeah do it now our pawns. Our pawns. We got Mary Beth Hurt as Mrs. Bell. Noah Gray Cabey as Joey Dury. He was the little kid in Heroes, Micah Sanders. Jared Harris as the goatee smoker. So good. So random. <laughs> it's so fucking funny as a stoner. Then we have Ethan Kahn as the glasses smoker. Gilmore Girls fans recognize him as Glenn. Then we have Tova Felsha as Mrs. Bubchek. She's mom and crazy ex-girlfriend. And was in The Walking Dead. Tom Mandarosian as Mr. Bubchek, and he's from Oz. Ah. The TV series. That's his big claim to fame. So a true ensemble cast. Oh, this cast is insane. And insane in the weirdest way. Like, it's not, it's not like, you know, the expendables, right? It's not, we got a bunch of stars to be in this movie together. Mm-hmm. It's... I'm going to bring it up again. It's a Magnolia ensemble. There's some very famous character actors. There's also some very strong, but kind of under the radar character actors. Mm -hmm. And you've put them all in this mix together, but they all work perfectly together. Mm. And it's just, it's that magnetic energy of an ensemble. If this were staged, it would work almost as well because these actors bounce off of each other with that energy. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that if it was staged because getting into our trivia, the reason for the film's really high budget, despite it all being on one location, is that they built the apartments in the pool for the film. That was one set. And it feels that way. And it's great. It feels like this living thing, which I love. Yeah, it feels like a true apartment complex. Yeah. It's great. I, w- I could have sworn that they just rented one out. They did some like exterior stuff elsewhere, and but it's on a warehouse site is where they built it. And it took up like two city blocks. Yeah. Which I believe is great. So amazing. Contrary to popular belief, the creatures in this film are not based on any mythological creatures. They were all invented by M. Night Shyamalan, except for the Narf, which is inspired by water sprites, nymphs, and water fairies. There you go. M. Night Shyamalan was in talks with Philip Seymour Hoffman for an unspecified role in the film. Hoffman loved the script, but he had scheduling conflicts. I could see him being one of the stoner dudes. If it was something really small, but I could also see him being great in the Bob Balaban role. Oh, yeah. That would be good. Or also as Cleveland Heat. So that, yes. I mean, that was the obvious one, but I was like, being Philip, I would think it would be one of the random side roles. What would be fun for him to play? And so that role or Jeffrey Wright's role, maybe. Jeffrey Wright's role would have been interesting too. David Ogden Steers narrates the prologue in this film, and he also is the one who narrated the Beauty and the Beast film. Yes. On the wish list for M. Night for various supporting roles included names such as William Hurt, Sidney Poitier, Chris Cooper, Gene Wilder, Terrence Howard, Alec Baldwin, Vince Vaughn, Forrest Whitaker, and Don Cheadle. There's a few of those I would yeet into the sun, namely Alec Baldwin. But a lot of those, who I would have loved to see in this movie, Gene Wilder, my Gene, God. Gene Wilder. Sidney Poitier throwing in a random role in here. Don Cheadle on a bed of rice. Yes. William Hurt would have been. I mean, put him anywhere. I don't care what like, role you put him in. Anyone on this list with the exception of Terrence Howard and Alec Baldwin, because I don't like either of those people. I also, my thing about them is I think they can be perfectly good actors, but mm-hmm. I 
don't think they mix with this kind of group. Or this it, kind of story. Yeah, it just doesn't work for me in my head. But There. There. But I could be wrong. Yeah. All right. So now we have to talk about some awards. 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 We usually love to talk about awards. And this one won some, but it's not Oscars. Oh. It's the opposite Oscars. What is that? That's called the Golden Raspberry Awards, often referred to as the Razzies. Hey! This film was nominated for Worst Picture, Worst Screenplay, Worst Director, and Worst Supporting Actor. Okay. All right. So for Worst Picture, the nominees are Basic Instinct 2, Blood Rain, Lady in the Water, Little Man, and The Wicker Man. (sighs) Well, I mean, all I know about the new version of The Wicker Man is that Nicolas Cage punches a guy in the face while he's wearing a bear costume. Mm -hmm. I mean... Huey Bull did Blood Rain. That's gotta be worse. Basic Instinct 2 one. Also bad. Why Why did there ever need to be a sequel of that movie? I've never seen the first one. I haven't either, but I'm just like, what? why? Worst supporting actor, M. Night Shyamalan as Lady in the Water as the Grand. <laughs> Danny DeVito in Deck the Halls. Ben Kingsley in Blood Rain. Martin Short in The Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause. David Thewlis and Basic Instinct 2, and The Omen. So he was nominated twice. <laughs> sad, because he's good in Harry Potter. That's true. And is a very good actor. Yep. I don't know. M. Night getting nominated. I don't think he's bad in this movie, but I also don't think... I, I think he's got a lot of other actors he gets to react off of. Yeah. If you really want to twist the knife, that that's so much fun. I like it. I like giving him that award for this movie. M. Night won. Yeah. That's such a perfect, like, screw it in, mm-hmm. especially, and I don't know if he did, but that's that's a moment where M. Night shows up and accepts his award and laughs about it. You'd have to, but nobody beats Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. Halle Berry was good, too. But she won at the same year she won her Oscar. I know. Which just makes it that much better. But Halle Sandra Berry Bullock. gave an emotional Oscar crying speech at the Razzies. Well, she already had an Oscar at that point, too. So, like, I'm just saying. It happens. All right. Worst director. We have M. Night for Lady in the Water, Yui Bull for Blood Rain, Michael Canton Jones for Basic Instinct 2, Ron Howard for The Da Vinci Code, and Keenan Ivory Wayans for Little Man. <sighs> well, Little Man is objectively terrible, just as a premise. True. Very true. I never saw the Da Vinci Code. I feel like that would that would so fit under my, this is so mediocre, I want to claw my eyes out. You would say that, yes. But there is something so specifically egregious and awful and capitalistic about the movies of Yui Bull, because he makes those intentionally bad to get a money loss to get German tax credits. Mm-hmm. I mean- Anytime he's nominated in that category, he's worse than anybody there. Because objectively, he is intentionally making terrible films. M. Night One. Which is just not accurate at all. It's not the right choice. No. Again, I wonder I, if... I understand why people hate it. I really do. But it's... it is not the worst. It is. We have seen other movies that are categorically horribly directed. Yeah. That don't even warrant the level of hate that this movie has been given. Like it's just not that warranted. No, I understand not liking it, but the the level of hate for it is just absurd. Oh, y'all are gonna be real shocked when we give our scores here in a little bit. You just are. Probably not at this point. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I can think of is that 
so many people talked him up so much in audience circles Mm -hmm. and critics kept getting tired of it. Mm -hmm. And then this movie came out and was so weird and the audience didn't really click with it. And it's weird to me in the best way now in 2019. But in 2006, they went, finally, this guy has been exposed for the hack we thought he was. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's right or not, but I feel like that may have been this boiling point of critics going, he's not as good as all these people talk about. And here's the proof. And then just rained brimstone on it when it's It's, maybe the best movie of his I've ever seen. Like I just it's not warranted. And this is this comes from a place of like you've done this one thing really, really well. And now when you do something different, I'm mad at you for not doing the same thing. People do this with bands all the fucking time. Yep. They do it with actor. Like they do it with anybody who's in an artistic field, particularly. And I've I've been just as guilty of this as anyone. Mm -hmm. The place that I've really tried to get to now is if something changes with a band or an artist or you know any creative endeavor mm-hmm. and it changes to a way that I don't really like I don't shit on them I just go well this isn't for me like I've finally gotten to the point where I was like that's a much healthier way to treat these things well and I think especially on this podcast we do try to not be like oh you couldn't do this like you should not be doing this or it's like this was not the place for you to try out this new skill yeah like, we do try to qualify it and not be like, you're a horrible person. Don't ever do this again. Because, you know. Like- well, we also try not to say that people are horrible unless they're horrible. <laughs> because there's so many horrible people. Because there are horrible people. And in some the of, universe. Some of them are actors. A lot of them are actors. Yeah, there's a good, there's some, yeah, it's a high population count. But this is, this is just a cultural confluence of crap that they wanted to rain down on M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. And it isn't warranted. So it was also nominated for worst screenplay, but it lost a basic instinct. Good. All right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> calm down, people. Okay. So how many narfs are we going to give this? Movie, uh, your movie. I, my movie. I go first. How many pinky narfs am I going to give this movie? <laughs> no. I know. Every time they said narf, that's all I could hear. It's true. It's really bad for people of a very specific cultural moment. Yeah. Whew. Fuck, this is a four. It's a four. I thought you said five. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I said fuck. And then I said four. Okay. Which is a more appropriate response to an M. Night movie. The story is so engaging and the actors are fabulous and I love the way it looks and I have the two tiniest of complaints. And yeah, it's a four. You are correct. It is a four. (gasps) We agree. I hate it when we agree. No, don't hate it. I hate it when my end of the year graft is like the same lines. There has to be divergence. Okay, but don't hate it because I just agreed with you on a fucking M. Night Shyamalan movie. We've agreed a lot, though. I know. We've had like... We've been vibing. We've been vibing. That's all it means. We've had a very interesting conversation, but we're coming to a similar conclusion. Yeah. It's not a perfect movie because it's messy, I think, at the end of the day. It's just got rough edges that aren't trimmed up. And I think that's intentional. Even if it's subconscious, it might. I think I feel like it's meant to be messy. It it's meant to feel like a rough storybook. I love the magical element that's put into this movie Mm -hmm. and the sort of hazy feeling of is this meant to be just an actual story of a dude encountering some fantastical thing, or does it morph into something more symbolic? Yeah, and you can play around with that but not in a way that feels like he is substituting the story for symbolism. 
this movie feels like a perfect blend of making you ask those questions yourself. And it just, it's endearing. I would really say if you if you ever saw this movie and hated it, mm-hmm. try it again. Because from my vantage point, and I've been very hard on him, yeah. this is a really good movie. Hmm. Yeah, it is a good movie. People need to revisit it. Yeah. So next week, what are we doing? Next week, we're doing Split. <sighs> I'm kind of dreading this one. I am too. There was a recent thread on Twitter that I saved because I didn't want to be spoiled talking about how dangerous this movie can actually be. Yeah. 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 This is this is going to maybe be another rough discussion on bad. Uh, bad representation. Bad representation and bad way to treat certain themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of treating certain themes badly, we saw a movie this weekend. So we'll take a break. We'll talk about that next. All right. This weekend, we went and saw Joker. In Gotham City, mentally troubled comedian Arthur Fleck is disregarded and mistreated by society. He then embarks on a downward spiral of revolution and bloody crime. This path brings him face to face with his alter ego, the Joker. (sighs) (sighs) This is a hard movie to talk about. I think the best way for us to describe it is that this is this year's Green Book because it is very well made. Yeah. It's beautifully acted. It it really truly is. Like the performances are really good with one exception. But the message of this movie is pure garbage and ultimately dangerous. And I know a lot of critics have like been like a lot of people have been joking like, oh, people are freaking out about violence and everything coming out of this movie. But the movie's been out for five minutes. It takes a while for some things to seep into people. I think the thing I said to you after the film was that this is going to become a touchstone movie. Because I feel like this movie does accurately depict how people view those with mental illness. Yes. And then also what people do with those who commit violent crimes. <sighs> this movie does its damnedest to make every excuse for Arthur Fleck's behavior. It does. I do feel that it does. And they give him this very sad backstory, which, okay. As, as trauma porn. It is. There is a lot of trauma porn. I said before we saw this movie, I really didn't want to see this movie. And personally, and I could not have anticipated feeling like this. Mm-hmm. I'm really upset that I saw this movie. Now, that is not anybody's fault. But I will say this to you now. If in any way you struggle with mental illness, you are triggered by things dealing with abuse, do not see this movie mm-hmm. because it directly confronts the audience with it. And refuses to provide any good feeling about coping with it. He does point out, like, do you even listen to me? Because you asked me the same questions. And I I do think those were actually the scenes that were really raw and important. Because he says, like, all I have are bad thoughts. Yeah. How do you deal with that? And I think the most raw and true thing that I think was really important was that in his notebook where he's journaling, there's this one page that says the worst part about having mental illness is people expect you to behave like you don't. Yeah. And that is heartbreaking and 100% true. It's hard for me to talk about this movie in a cogent way because it really infuriated me. Yeah. And some of that was... Because it triggered certain feelings. 
again, I can't blame the filmmaker for that. What I will say, though, is that the conclusion that he reaches and the climax of this movie is so fucking unearned. It's very unearned. Robert De Niro's garbage in this film. Oh my god. He's horribly written and honestly like they should have swapped Mark Marin who's in the movie for 2 minutes and I love Mark Marin and he would have eaten that scene up. As written it would have been a million times better with Mark Marin than it was Robert De Niro. I never thought I'd say that in my life. Huh? Oh, he was garbage. I mean pure garbage. Yeah. This this is not a movie that needed to be made and it's not a movie that needs to be seen. That that's really what it came down to for me. Why? We've told this story and we've told it even better than this. We watched Taxi Driver for this show. Yeah, we did. And it was a great film. This doesn't give us anything. And it it really is just trauma porn. And it doesn't add anything to the comic book world. Because when it was presented, I really liked the idea of like, we don't we don't have a set backstory for the Joker. So let's let's create one. And I'm okay with that. And there were some points in the story that I was like, okay, I could see them going in this direction. I could see them pointing to this over here if that's what they want to do. But they didn't say anything new or intelligent or meaningful within the story. I like some of the things had to do with his mental illness, but they're still not addressed well. And it's just really unfortunate. And it's just really sad. Um, and and it's just, a, you know, it's a wasted good performance. So I really, really hope this doesn't get any awards consideration because I don't want to see another gross film celebrated. Yeah. And I just don't like and that's unfortunate for Joaquin Phoenix. But at the same time, it's like this is garbage. Todd Phillips should have never been given this movie. He should have never been allowed to write it. He's he's clearly a garbage person based on some of the things he's been saying recently. Like, nope, no, thank you. Goodbye. And. To be perfectly honest, all the faults of this movie lay at his feet. True. They just do. True. It, everything that's bad about this movie has to do with the story and the way it's presented. Mm-hmm. That's where it all lies. This feels like a snuff film. It does. Snuff film. That's the right word. This is a snuff film. This feels like a fucking snuff film. This is a snuff film. Because... They did not have consent for these emotions. There's no justification for where we get to. No, that's fair. That's, yeah, this is a snuff film. And I think at the end of the day, that's what makes me so angry. I really hope the rest of our contenders in this award season are much better. I'm so glad we have seen it and are done with it. Like, we argued about this. Like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it either. But like, this is going to be bait. This is Oscar bait. And one of the reasons that we go see all the movies we do is because we love playing the Oscar game. So it's either we see it now and we can have an intelligent sort of uh, <laughs> opinion about this movie, or we're going to be forced into watching it if it gets nominated. Yeah. So we can see it now, or we can force ourselves to watch something later. Yeah. So I'm, gla- just, I'm, I'm glad we saw it so we can get it done. I'm also, I'm also very much like, okay, I'm going to take a lot better care of myself before watching movies like this again. <laughs> That's just, wise. Just like, this one really got to me in a mm-hmm. bad way. <laughs> And I'm going to do a little bit better about treating myself a little better before watching a movie like this. Ooh, let's go watch The Addams Family. Ooh, yay, spooky film. Okay, until next time. Bye, everybody.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.